Good morning, everyone. Yeah, feel free to take a seat. Filter in. So we will be having communion following this service day, so at the end of the service. If you're born again, you're a believer, you're invited and welcome and encouraged to come forward and partake of that. And uh, following the service today, we will have a barbecue, so be sure to stick around. And uh, It's just a great potluck-style uh, barbecue that's always a blessing, so um, looking forward to that. We'll be in Genesis chapter 17 if you want to turn there, and let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are awesome, that you are the Lord of all. You are King of kings and the one before whom we bow. And so we pray, Lord, you would speak to our hearts today, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would rejoice in your presence, knowing that you are good and glorious and trustworthy. So we bow before you, Lord. We desire your glory in heaven and on earth because you are glorious and good, and we, we are privileged to hear from you today. And I pray as we open your word, you'd fill us with your spirit and humble our hearts, Lord, to receive all that you have in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 17. You do learn some things as you grow older. Um, things that you took for granted in your younger days, like um, picking things up off the floor quickly without like losing your balance. Um, reading small print on medication bottles or, or looking at something like, who wrote this? I can't see that, and you need your glasses, or you can actually, there were days that you used to sleep through the night without having to get up. Uh, just things that you love to do at one stage, like sport that you were engaged with, you find they start being whittled down. They, they become like, that's a young person's game. I remember when I was arm wrestling someone when I was a youth pastor and snapped a ligament in my elbow, and I'm like, okay, that is a young man's game. <laughs> I'm retiring from that. I'm done with this. Uh, and so, yeah, our, our vision starts to get blurry. Hearing, it starts to fade. Laura would probably say my hearing has always been suspect, but yes, your reflexes slow down. You're not as quick as you used to be. And it's unheard of that conditions like cataracts, for instance, um, would reduce over time. Or that someone who was born with the inability, so hearing impaired, on their 100th birthday, suddenly hear everything clearly. Or someone growing half a meter in their 90s. Right? These, are, these are things we do not expect. They don't happen. Uh, but what's impossible and unthinkable is possible with God. God promised Abram that he would make of him a great nation, and he didn't have a child. And God made a covenant that was based entirely upon what God would accomplish, what he promised to do. He said, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Abram believed God. It was accounted to him as righteousness. And just because we believe that God is the Lord of all, it doesn't mean we always seek him. It doesn't mean we always rely upon him. His thoughts and ways are above ours. And though we don't know exactly what God is doing sometimes, knowing him we can be assured that he will bring it to pass in his time and his way. When God says something, we know he will accomplish it. But we don't always feel that. And praise the Lord, he's gracious and compassionate to us. So we pick up our passage in Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, 
The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. So God initiated this relationship with Abram. He made this covenant with him. And when Abram was 99 years old, God appeared to him and spoke with him and revealed himself as the almighty God or El Shaddai. And he said, walk before me, be complete, be whole, be blameless. And in chapter 15, God had cut a covenant with Abram that was unconditional. It depended totally upon God doing what he had promised. And in this chapter, he affirms his covenant and that he had made him, and notice made, not like I will make you. He says, I have made you the father of many nations. 13 years had passed since Ishmael was born. And when God appeared to him this time, it says he fell on his face. He shows the surrender and humility. Previously, God had said, I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. And it said in Genesis 15 too, but Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. His response is very different this time because he has Ishmael and because he has, he has probably grown in his faith before the Lord. And God had said in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Massive promises. God's promise hadn't changed at all. God said that uh, early on in their relationship. But neither had Sarai's barrenness. Right? God had made this promise. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And yet he has no child. Then he has Ishmael. And God affirms what he had said. And Abram held the hope that through Ishmael, that's how God would accomplish this promise. It seemed to be unfolding before his eyes. Just like we can finish other people's sentences. Have, have you ever done that? You know what they're going to say and you just fill in the blanks for them because you know where they're going. Uh, I, I sometimes can do that. We think we know how God is going to accomplish his will. We imagine we can think for God or we know his timing or how he's going to work something out. But God's almighty. He's not hemmed in by our limited ideas and our limited understanding. Now, when I, I did a four-year apprenticeship um, out of uni, one thing I learned was to anticipate what the journeyman wanted to do. So you'd learn the scope of the job. You would start to, he, they wanted you to get to a point where you could anticipate and you could say, oh, we're getting low on wire. We're getting low on stock. I need to get that ready without being asked so that I'm not being told what to do all the time. I'm actually learning the work because someday I'm going to be running the work. And so I'm thinking about what needs to happen and preparing. We relied on schooling, our experience, visual cues to anticipate what the journeyman of the foreman needed. That's not how our walk with Jesus is supposed to be. That's not how it's supposed to progress. Knowing that God's almighty, it teaches us to have greater reliance upon him, to look to him rather than what we see around us to take our cues from, what we think should happen next, 
but to look to the Lord. He's the one who guides us. Because our experience and our knowledge can lead to self-reliance. To focus on what we want rather than what God is doing. We can focus on the signs of the times rather than looking to Jesus. I think about the two disciples that were walking the road to Emmaus. And they were sad. Who was drawing near to talk with them? Jesus, the risen Lord. And they, he said, why are you guys so sad? They didn't realize it was Jesus. Why are you guys so sad? Well, there was this prophet, Jesus. We, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was going to deliver Israel. And he had, through the cross, he died, but he rose again. Their plan was that he was going to do it right now and in the way they wanted. But God had a plan and it involved going through the cross, not just to deliver Israel, but to redeem all sinners from their sin, to give eternal life to everyone who trusts in him. So they're downcast. They're just grieving and were later rejoicing when Jesus opened their eyes to see who he was. That he can overcome death. He can provide eternal life. The thing that's impossible for us it's possible with God. Picking up in Genesis 17, verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Notice all the times that God says, I will. I will do this. I will make you fruitful. I will make nations of you. I will establish my covenant. I give you the land. I will be their God. Speaking of his descendants, he only had one at that stage. And God promised to do this on the basis of who he is, what he had promised out of this everlasting covenant that he's saying, there's going to be kings that come from you, but I will be your sovereign forever. He's going to make them establish the covenant, give them the land, and be their God. And he gives them a new identity. He says, up till now you've been called Abram, but I call you Abraham. And I love how he says, I will be God to you. Not God for you, but God to you. It reminds me of when Jesus' birth was announced to the shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem in Luke 2, 10 and 11. It says, the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus born to all people and unto you is born this day, the savior, Christ the Lord. So Abram goes from being uh, father to father of nations um, because of God. It's like without God, there's no Abram and there's no Abraham. But because of God, there is. Verse nine, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and your, you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. 
He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So God's not establishing a new covenant here. He's repeating the covenant that he's already made, and he's put a sign or a seal or a badge on the mark of the covenant that you would voluntarily come under to say, I am in agreement with what God has said. And so on the eighth day, all males were to be circumcised. And he says, if you're not circumcised, you will be cut off from my people. You've broken the covenant. So God made the covenant, and if he was in agreement with the covenant, choosing to submit to it, he would submit to circumcision. And it was a statement that the almighty God is my God. Now, if you could turn in your Bibles to Romans 4, 11, and 12, we'll see the context of this passage is Paul shows that Abraham's righteousness did not come through circumcision or through the law, but by faith in God. Romans 4, verse 11. says, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. In the early church, we see that this was a big matter of debate because people came to faith in Jesus and there were disputes whether it was necessary to be circumcised or not. And the Jews, and this was part of their culture and their tradition, and in, a, in hearkening back to this command by the Lord, they thought it was the right thing for everyone to be circumcised. Um, but Paul affirmed that it's by faith in God, not through circumcision, that we have righteousness imputed to us. That the promise of God was made to Abraham before he was circumcised. And so that's not the, that doesn't accomplish anything for us in Christ. In Colossians 2, Paul explained how believers were made complete, right? He said, walk complete before me, be blameless before me. We are complete in Christ, we're made whole in him. And the Gentiles were under this pressure to be circumcised. Um, And he says, being baptized with water is a more fitting picture of the new covenant since Jesus died and rose from the dead. That's a better picture for us. So it's not circumcision or baptism that saves, it's faith in Jesus, Faith in God, like from the beginning. Now, followers of Christ today, we have liberty to be circumcised, to not be. And it does remain a controversial uh, subject in society and culture, but it ought not to be divisive within the church. It's not a measure of spirituality. And because God is the one that instituted it, we should not view it as abuse or mutilation. It's not a way to curry favor with God. God wrote, uh, Paul wrote this in Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. God told the prophet Jeremiah, he says, those people, they have uncircumcised ears. They're not listening to me. 
It's like their ears are dull and their hearts, they should circumcise their hearts. There's unbelief there that they need to remove to receive the things that I'm saying to them. So more than just cutting away of the flesh, there was something spiritual that had to happen inside them that circumcision does not touch because it's a matter of the heart. And that's what God wanted to address, that the law could not. And so in sending Jesus Christ, he made a way for us to be born again through the Holy Spirit, that we'd be changed from within, that there'd be a transformation that takes place and taking away the heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh that we can be forgiven, born again, receive eternal life. Affirming again, 1 Corinthians 7, 19 and 20, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. So faith in God marked by submission and obedience to him. Picking up in Genesis 17, starting in verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God changed Abram's name to Abraham. He also changed Sarai's name to Sarah. And he promised to bless her. He says, she will bear a son. She's not just going to be your princess. Sarai means my princess, but princess, um, what's the other? Woman of high rank, princess. So not just yours, but everyone's because nations will come from her at 90 years of age. And Abraham is like, whoa, that is wild. That's crazy. He, it says he fell on his face and laughed. He's not mocking God. He's not scoffing him, but he's just amazed and delighted and very caught off guard by this promise. He's like, shall a man at 100 have a child? A woman who's 90? It was incredible to imagine it. It was more than unlikely. Maybe Abraham thought it was unnecessary because he says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham loved his son Ishmael. He was the heir that Abraham had waited decades for. Now he had a son. God said the heir would come from him. He was satisfied and content with him. Was God gonna take him back to the baby stage again? At 100, some of you have had children with the gaps between them. You're like, back to the baby stage, right? I, I, it's just a, a bit of a shock. You get a bit comfortable with your life as, you know, with teenagers, and suddenly you have a baby. And it, it's quite a, uh, I haven't experienced being a grandparent yet, but um, yeah, it's it, like you think about how life changes, it, it's going to change. And Abraham is like getting this from God. Your life is going to change. Your wife, who's been barren for 90 years, is going to have a baby. Ishmael means God hears. Hagar bore him to Abraham, and he's thinking, God has heard me. He's answered my prayer. But Ishmael was not the one. It was not the promised child. 
God had another child yet to be born in mind, one that would be through him and his wife, Sarah. Abraham felt blessed by having Ishmael. He was blessed to see him grow and mature into a young man. And he laughed at the thought that Sarah would have a child, a dream he had likely written off years ago. And I think we can respond to the blessing and the promises of God, sometimes in a similar way to Abraham, thinking that our desires fulfilled are better than God's plans. For a long time, after I came to Christ, I was really grateful to be saved from hell. That was my primary feeling of gratitude. was like, I was headed for destruction and God saved me. I'm really blessed by that. But I hadn't considered that Jesus saved me to follow him and to live for him and to honor him today, to glorify him during my life on earth. So not just to look toward heaven as this destination, but say, I get to walk with Jesus every day, and he's going to speak to me, and he's going to work through me, and he has plans for me now to enter into. And that was a bit of a shock. And then I was challenged when my pastor preached, and he says, when you're born again by the Holy Spirit, he gives you spiritual gifts to use for him. to glorify God, to edify the church. And honestly, at first I thought, I'm fine with salvation. I'm fine with forgiveness. No thanks. I'm not, I don't really know what you're talking about, these spiritual gifts thing. But then the question was asked, if God has something to give you, are you willing to receive it? If God has plans for you, will you enter into them? Will you obey him? And the Lord brought me around. At first, I was unwilling because it was not in my plans. I was satisfied with my life as it was. I remember working in my yard and thinking about moving up the corporate ladder and teaching apprentices in the union. And God made it very clear that he was calling me to teach people in church. But that wasn't part of my plan. That wasn't part of my progression that I had for myself. You know, we're blessed to trust and submit to God even when his plans are unexpected. When it's not your plan, it's his plan. And you choose to trust him and submit to him and surrender. And I was blessed to have a job as a mechanical insulator. I was blessed to have spiritual gifts and church ministry. But I brushed them off at one time as unwanted and unnecessary. I don't need that. That doesn't appeal to me. I have plans. Being led to Australia, that was a whole new chapter that I never thought would be written in my life. And I believe that God has plans for you right now that you're not interested in because they're not your plans. That's the reality. He has plans for you that you have not received yet because you didn't come up with the idea. And we can be content with our life as is when Jesus came to give us abundant life that infinitely exceeds our expectations and assumptions. We'll naturally settle for the Ishmael we love when God has unborn Isaac in mind. That's what can happen. And no matter how long you've walked with Jesus, this is something we must embrace to realize that God's plans are not our plans. His ways are not our ways. That he is He is moving us towards something to be serving him in a way that we haven't ever considered. Genesis 17, verse 19. 
Then God said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Abraham has this longing, oh, that Ishmael would live before you. And God said, no, I'm going to give you Isaac. I'm going to give you a child that you don't know yet, but I know him and I'm going to establish my covenant with him. And I've also heard your prayer about your son, Ishmael, and I will make him a great nation. Anyone know what Isaac means? It means he laughs, right? Laughter. So, uh, Abraham responded by laughing when he heard God's promise of a son through Sarah. So it's a fitting name. And we can see next week that laughter can even be an unbelief. We can laugh in faith and delight in what God has said. Just like, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe that. I believe it because you're saying it, God, but otherwise that is just crazy. And laughing because we're like, yeah, right. Scoffing, right? Turn in your Bibles to Romans 4, verse 18. Sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we can, it's good to imagine or put yourself in that position. Like, how would I feel? How would I think if God said this to me? If he made me a promise, would I believe him? Would I, if he said, be circumcised, would I do that? To, to put ourselves in that and just say, that's a big step for him to, something that hadn't been done before, to, to believe God, to trust him, and to follow through. We might imagine we, so some people could say, because Abraham laughed, oh, he, he really didn't believe. But Romans says otherwise. It says he didn't waver at all in his belief. It was not a sign of lack of faith that he laughed. Uh, and so it's important that we don't project our own ideas or feelings into what we read in the Bible, but let the Bible interpret the Bible. Let scripture interpret scripture. So Paul wrote concerning Abraham in Romans 4, 18 through 22, who contrary to hope in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. So in a human sense, there was no way that they would have a child together. It was impossible. It wasn't going to happen. Her cycle had ceased long ago. Uh, the little blue tablet had not yet been invented to assist him. They were not having a kid. It was not happening. But God said otherwise. Paul pulled no punches. He says he wasn't weak in faith, even though their reproductive systems were dead. The deadness was in contrast to Abraham's faith because he believed God. He believed what God said. He didn't even consider the fact that they were dead because God would bring life because it was God who said so. God said, so shall your descendants be. 
He was strengthened in faith. He gave glory to God. He was fully convinced, fully, without wavering, totally sure that God was going to do as he promised. Though God would establish his covenant with Isaac yet to be born, yet to be born he heard him about Ishmael. God would bless Ishmael, make him fruitful, multiply him, make him a great nation. The covenant that God made was not through the striving or angling of people trying to help God, but on God's terms, through faith and obedience. Genesis 17, verse 22. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised, and his son Ishmael, and all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Abraham, after hearing God, he demonstrates this genuine faith through his obedience promptly, right? That very same day, he, his son, and his whole household, they were all circumcised as God commanded. So he wasn't deterred by the fear of pain or cutting off sensitive skin from the body used in procreation. He's like, I'm trusting God. And he did. This was not forced upon anyone um, it's like you either are cut or you are cut off. So that was the option placed before people and they voluntarily submitted to that. And, and there was no need to double check if God's really serious. We're like, you know, Lord, I need to pray about this. Well, who's talking? <laughs> is God gonna change his mind? No, God has said, this is what you should do. Okay, this is what we're doing. God said so, so we're gonna obey him. I like what Adam Clark wrote. He said, a right so painful, so repugnant to every feeling of delicacy and every way revolting to nature could never have sprung up in the imagination of man. It was a sign that was never to appear. The individual alone knew that he bore in his flesh this sign of the covenant and he bore it by the order of God. And he knew it was a sign and seal of spiritual blessings and not the blessings themselves, though a proof that these blessings were promised and that he had a right to them. I think that's good. That it's like, yeah, God knew what he was doing, and so did Abraham in obeying God, what God had said. So the first covenant that God cut with Abraham, remember they divided the animals and the presence of God passed between the animals with the torch and the oven. They passed through, showing that God was, the covenant depended upon God doing it, and now the covenant was sealed in Abraham's own blood in circumcision. Centuries later, when the law was given to Moses, um, after the offering of a burnt and peace offerings in Exodus 24, it says that Moses took the blood of the sacrifice, he put some of it on the altar, and then he sprinkled some on the people. And that's like the two parties, they are making this covenant of law that they will keep it, that God, they will be, he will be their God and they will be his people, that they will do everything that he has promised, that he has promised, he'll keep his word of what he's promised and they will do all that he commands. They were obliged to keep it. 
Hebrews 9.22, it says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now, the question is, did circumcision or the offering of sacrifices prevent the children of Israel from breaking God's laws? No. It was kind of a one and done with circumcision. It's like one, one time. But no, they didn't always obey God. They didn't always trust him. They broke his law. The law that demanded circumcision, it couldn't change people's hearts. It couldn't change them from within. And Jesus introduced a new and living way to approach God that was unheard of before. Amazing that we can be born again through faith in Jesus. John 1, 16 and 17, it says, and of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And Jesus established that covenant with his own blood when he gave his life for sinners. And as we prepare to receive communion together in obedience to Christ, turn to Luke 22, starting in verse 14. We read of Jesus eating the Passover with his disciples. Luke 22, starting in verse 14. The Passover was a memorial of the Spirit of God passing over the houses, the households in Egypt, how those who had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lentil who ate of it in readiness, they were spared, whereas those who did not, um, the firstborn was killed. Hence, Passover. Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, the, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Jesus was circumcised the eighth day in Jerusalem. He kept the Passover feast according to the law of Moses. And he came to fulfill the law, to complete it, to satisfy the requirements of the law, to establish a new covenant and way to relate to God through faith in Jesus. And as the writer of Hebrews explained, Jesus is the king of kings. He is the high priest who once for all shed his blood to atone for sin and to render obsolete the need of a sanctified priest to offer a sacrifice or for the temple to stand uh, where incense is burned and, you know, with the morning and the evening sacrifices and the whole temple worship that now in Christ, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And God's eyes are upon us. He looks to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. The bread, so these were elements that would likely be in every meal that the Jews would have eaten in those days. The bread, it symbolized the body of Jesus that would be broken for them. The cup, it represented his blood that would be shed on Calvary. And it said, I'm looking forward 
to, like, I will not drink of the wine again until uh, it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So looked forward to gathering all believers to himself, Jew and Gentile in one body of which he is the head and alludes to the marriage supper of the lamb that we see in Revelation 19. Abraham laughed when God said, you are going to bear a son in your old age and Sarah will too. How much more awesome is it that we who were dead in sins, condemned by the law, cut off from God, have been reconciled to him, forgiven, purified by the blood of Jesus, that righteousness has been imputed to us through faith, that we have been accepted into the beloved, that we were once uh, aliens from the commonwealth of God's kingdom, but now have been brought near, not just as servants or slaves, but as children, children of God and heirs with Christ. I mean, that is something we should laugh joyfully about. It's like, how could that be? Only God is so generous. Only he is so powerful to forgive us of all of our sin and to cleanse us of our unrighteousness. We were dead. Now we're alive. We receive the bread and cup today in obedience to Christ to show that we voluntarily have entered into that covenant that he's established through the shed blood of Jesus. So when we partake of that and it goes inside of us, we're saying there's a work that's happened inside me because of faith in Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, that I am now made new. I am a new creation through faith in him. And so I partake in obedience to proclaim his death till he comes. We don't need to cut ourselves. Jesus has been pierced for us. He has been bruised for our iniquities. And it's a personal matter between you and God. He looks upon your heart. Eating the bread and drinking the cup, it does not cleanse you from any sin. It does not sanctify you or change you at all. It's just like eating lunch. It's not going to change you. But our unworthiness and the invitation to come through Jesus, that should provoke in us such joy. And a sober remembrance of our sin leading to repentance, also rejoicing in our forgiveness in being brought near by Christ. That we believe that what God has promised he is able to perform, that he has redeemed us, that he has called us, that he has washed us. What was impossible by the law, what was impossible by our own efforts, it's assured by our risen savior, Jesus Circumcision, it's a one-off thing. However, we receive communion regularly because we are walking in obedience to Jesus and a sign of the new covenant that we have voluntarily entered into because God wants us to remember that we are consecrated to him, for him. We are his and we need those reminders because we forget. And what an opportunity it is to proclaim his goodness that he is alive, that he is with us. I'd like to invite the worship team forward to lead us in a song, and while they're singing, and while we worship the Lord with them, please feel free to come up and just form a couple lines and take of the cup and the bread, and then I'll lead us in a prayer together. I love how receiving communion is proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes, and 
It seems an odd thing on the surface, but it's through dying in our place that Jesus demonstrated the love of God for us. It's a proclamation of his love. It's a proclamation of his grace and the price paid so that we could have fellowship and communion with God, not just on a Sunday, but every day because he loves you, because he wants you to be with him and he with you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have sent Jesus to be our savior, that we have a new life, uh, not just a new start, but a, a, we are a new creation. We are now born again through faith in Jesus and thank you for the opportunity you give us to proclaim your death till you come, to walk in your love towards one another, in the fear of God, to bring glory and honor to your name that, that you could use someone like me, that you could use us, Lord, to, to herald your kingdom, to proclaim a savior, and to have newness of life. We rejoice, Lord. I pray that uh, as, as we draw near to you, that our joy would be full, that the peace that passes understanding would be ours. And Lord, if there is sin in our hearts, that we would confess it before you, that we would voluntarily lay down our will before you to receive what you would have, to not be loving Ishmael when you have an Isaac that is in store. And we thank you, Lord, that this new life you've given us, it is an abundant life. It is a life that brings honor and glory to you, and it is for our good, for your glory. And I thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters here that we can unite to uh, receive communion together, to have fellowship with Christ who is in our midst. And we thank you, Lord, how you guide us, how you provide for everything that we need and how good you are. In Jesus' name, amen.